0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know By Heart, and Then Sings My Soul. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and has just been released. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource or order from your favorite online retailer. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello there. First of all, I want to thank you for helping us launch my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. I believe that America needs this book and I hope that you'll be able to give a copy to some homeschooling family or public schooling family or private or Christian schooling family because I believe that this can be an important supplement to what children are learning. I also would like to suggest you give a copy to the mayor of your city or to a city councilman or to a state senator or legislator that you know because America's leaders need to know the truth of our history. This book is a daily devotional a tour of American history, a textbook, a set of small biographies, and a Bible study all in one. These podcasts are designed to supplement the material, and I hope that you are benefiting from them and that you will share them with others. On today's podcast, I want to consider the question, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt a Christian? The answer is, I don't know. It's impossible to know the heart of another person and Roosevelt was far more complicated than most people. He clearly was not a perfect man. We all know about his immoral affair with Lucy Mercer, which caused his marriage to grow cold. And Eleanor was stunned when she discovered that Lucy Mercer was with Franklin when he died in Warm Springs, Georgia. And Roosevelt could be a ruthless politician. But on the other hand, As I researched for my book, I came across so much information about Roosevelt and his Bible that I could have developed a dozen stories about this fascinating man and about the Scripture. Roosevelt was an Episcopalian from a staunch Episcopalian home. As a teenager, he attended a boarding school whose headmaster Endicott Peabody became his mentor. Peabody later officiated Roosevelt's marriage to Eleanor, and he served as a lifelong advisor to Franklin. Peabody was a fascinating character all on his own. As a young man, after his training for the ministry, Endicott Peabody was appointed as an Episcopalian priest for a miserable little church in Tombstone, Arizona. Peabody traveled for seven days on the train from Boston to Benson, Arizona, and took the stagecoach on to Tombstone. He arrived there just after the famous gunfight in the O.K. Corral. The town's church building, the Episcopal Church, had burned down, and the pastor had left town. Peabody, who was young and inexperienced, took it all in stride and started going door to door, visiting his parishioners and raising money for the rebuilding of the church. On some days, it said he would visit 15 or more homes. His preaching began attracting larger crowds and he even became friends with the legendary gunfighter Wyatt Earp. In short order, the church building had been rebuilt and a good congregation formed in tombstone. Furthermore, Peabody was an athlete He was a boxer who never lost a round and a baseball player who started a team in Tombstone. When he returned to Boston, Endicott Peabody started Groton School, which was designed to impart moral character into boys from upper-class families, especially from New England and New York and the Northeast. It was to this school that young Franklin Roosevelt traveled and enrolled. He was 14 years old. And he entered as a boarding student. Later in his life, Roosevelt would say, As long as I live, the influence of Dr. and Mrs. Peabody will mean more to me than that of any other people next to my father and mother. He said he was the biggest influence in my life. This Episcopalian priest, Peabody, became Roosevelt's lifelong pastor and friend and mentor and spiritual father. There's also a very interesting incident about all of this. On November 17, 1944, Endicott Peabody, who was 87 years old at that time, headed out in his car to drive a family friend to the train station. En route, he suffered a stroke, a terminal stroke, and he died. His passenger gripped the wheel and guided the car to the side of the road. Endicott passed away, but just before the stroke had hit him, he had been talking to his friend about the President of the United States, and his last words were, You know, there's no doubt but that Roosevelt is a very religious man. Well, Eleanor thought so too. Years later, she said about Franklin, my husband's religion was very simple. He believed in God and in his guidance. He felt that human beings were given tasks to perform, and with those tasks went the ability and strength to put them through. He could pray for help and guidance and have faith in his own judgment as a result. The church services he always insisting on holding on Inauguration Day Anniversaries and whenever a great crisis impended were the expressions of his religious faith. I think this must not be lost sight of, she said, in judging his acceptance of responsibility and his belief in his ability to meet whatever crisis had to be met. There's a new biography of Roosevelt entitled, A Christian and a Democrat, a Religious Biography of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and I enjoyed reading it. It's by John Wolverton and James Pratt. The thesis of the book is that Roosevelt was an Episcopalian who deeply believed that the teachings of the Christian faith and the principles of democracy were inseparable. Let me repeat that, because that's exactly what the Founding Fathers believed as well. The teachings of the Christian faith and the principles of democracy are inseparable. Roosevelt's library, which is still on display in his home in Hyde Park, New York, contained many Christian books, including a number of hymn books. Roosevelt loved the great hymns of the faith, and he sang them heartily. In school, he was a member of the glee club and the choir, and many of the hymns that he learned and sung stayed with him all of his life. At one point, I can just see this. He even played the organ for a local church where he also taught Sunday school. His favorite hymn was the Navy hymn, that evocative military hymn that requests God's watchful care over those who protect our nation. On one occasion, during World War II, during a very difficult time, there was a prayer service in the East Room of the White House and the director of the newly formed TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, Davin Lillenthal was there. Lillenthal later wrote, I sat on the end of a large arc in which the chairs had been placed so that I was quite near the president who sat, of course, directly in front of the pulpit. He takes these services with great intensity. I couldn't help observing his intensity and the unusual grim set of his face. But when the Navy hymn was sung, the president's voice rose clear above all the others. I was struck hard as I heard him sing out, Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. Well, from Roosevelt's library, we also know that he collected 20 different books on the life of Christ, along with other Christian classics. One of his favorite books was John Bunyan's, immortal, the pilgrim's progress. It was also said that his own personal prayer book, which would have been the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, was worn out from use. One of the major turning points of Roosevelt's life, of course, was when he developed polio and lost the use of his legs. His indomitable spirit bore him on, but it was butterest, By a renewed faith in God, he was driven to God. Francis Perkins, FDR's Secretary of Labor, once said that Roosevelt, quote, had a great strengthening of religious faith during this time. He believed that divine providence had intervened to save him from total paralysis, despair, and death. His understanding of the spiritual laws of faith and of the association of man's feeble powers with God's great strength must have come from this. And all of that brings us to my favorite story about Franklin Roosevelt. It's not very widely known, and you'll not find it in the textbooks, nor even in most of the biographies of this great president. But on the night when he was first elected, as President of the United States for his first term. You know, he was elected four times. But on the night of his first election, he was helped to bed by his son, James. Now, Roosevelt typically spoke of not being afraid, of the danger of giving in to fear. But that night, he confessed to his son that he was afraid. Afraid of what, Pa? asked James. I'm just afraid I might not have the strength to do this job, he said. After you leave me tonight, James, I am going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will help me, that he will give me the strength and the guidance to do this job and to do it right. I hope you will pray for me too, Jimmy. That simple story says so much. We also know that Roosevelt's favorite passage of Scripture was 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible. His biographers go so far as to say that the final verse of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, which says, Now there abideth still faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity, was the inspiration and the rule for guidance as it related to Roosevelt's political policies. On all four of his inaugurations, he placed his hand on a Bible open to this passage. Those were his favorite words, his favorite verse in the Bible was, Now there abides faith, hoping, charity, but the greatest of these is charity or love. I'll give you a great example, and this one you will find in the history books. On June 27, 1936, Roosevelt traveled to Philadelphia to accept the renomination of his party for a second term in office. About 100,000 people had assembled at Franklin Field and millions more were listening by radio. A large military band played patriotic music as people took their seats in the stadium and as others began tuning in on the radio, there was a sense of euphoria and of electrical excitement. About 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Roosevelt's limousine circled the stadium and stopped at the speaker's stand. The president was helped out of the car and he took the arm of his son, James, trying his best to walk on his braces to the podium. The band played, Hail to the Chief. The applause was deafening. But at that moment, a near disaster occurred. Someone jostled the president, and he fell. A Secret Service agent caught him before he hit the ground, but the pages of his speech went fluttering through the wind like leaves from an autumn tree. Immediately, the president's staff sprang into action. They snapped his leg braces back into place, stood him up, straightened his tie, brushed off his coat, collected his speech, and hoped that they had returned it properly to its correct order, which they had. Going to the podium as if nothing had happened, Roosevelt showed no signs of his fall. But his speech that night was ageless, It was based on this favorite passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, and particularly on verse 13. Before that vast crowd, Roosevelt said, "...the defeats and victories of these years have given to us as a people a new understanding of our government and of ourselves." Never since the days of the New England town meetings have the affairs of government been so widely discussed and so clearly appreciated. It has been brought home to us that the only effective guide for the safety of this most worldly of worlds, the greatest guide of all, is moral principle. He said, We do not see faith, hope, and charity As unattainable ideals, but we use them as stout supports of a nation fighting for the fight of freedom and modern civilization. We have faith in the soundness of democracy in the midst of dictatorships, hope, renewed hope, because we know so well the progress we have made. Charity, in the true spirit of that grand old word for charity, literally translated from the original, means love, the love that understands, that does not merely share the wealth of the giver, but in true sympathy and wisdom helps men to help themselves. He said, We seek not merely to make government a mechanical implement, but to give it the vibrant, personal character that is the very embodiment of human charity, in the place of the palace of privilege, we seek to build a temple out of faith and hope and charity. And then he went on to say these words, which echo through the decades. There is a mysterious cycle in human events. To some generations, much is given, to other generations, much is expected. This Generations of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. Well, those three principles from 1 Corinthians 13, thirteen faith, hope, and charity showed up again and again in FDR's speeches and writings, and they seem to form the outline of his public policies. In fact, some people trace the images and the arrangement of of the New Deal policies to this very verse. At the same time, Roosevelt voiced constant support for religious freedom, which we would expect, considering the threats of Nazism and fascism on the world. On Monday, January 6, of 1941, Roosevelt gave his State of the Union message, which has been called since then the famous Four Freedoms speech in which he articulated the priority of a society preserving and proclaiming these four freedoms. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Roosevelt's most famous moment as it relates to God, prayer, and faith is his incredible prayer on D-Day. I've been to his home in Hyde Park and to his presidential library, where the original draft is there on display. Every time I listen to a recording of this speech, I'm deeply moved, and I ask myself, why do not presidents today lead the nation in prayer to Almighty God in times of crisis like Roosevelt did? Well, here's the simple story. As word spread of the Allied invasion of Europe on June the 6th, 1944, D-Day, Americans were overcome with thoughts of their boys storming the beaches of Normandy, of their men taking the cliffs. Franklin Roosevelt announced he would address the nation by radio, but on that evening, he didn't give a speech or a fireside chat. He offered a prayer in one of the most moving addresses to ever pass over the lips of an American president, FDR simply prayed. He prayed earnestly and eloquently. He prayed like a pastor leading his flock through a time of stress and sacrifice. He prayed with boldness, ending his prayer by emphasizing the words, Thy will be done, Almighty God. Never before or since, so far as I know, have so many tears dripped from so many eyes as that evening when an entire nation and indeed the whole world joined the president in a great united global prayer. Here in a condensed form is his prayer. He said, My fellow Americans, last night, When I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts' steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. The enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace, And by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest until the victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle and their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of these brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, Almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many have urged that I call the nation to a single day of special prayer. But because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that all our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer as we rise to each new day. And again, when each day is spent, let words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our efforts. Give us strength, too. Strength in our daily tasks to redouble the contribution we make in the physical and in the material support of our armed forces. And let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travail to bear sorrow that may come to impart our courage into our sons, wheresoever they may be. And, O oh Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirits be ever dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events or temporal Matters be but fleeting moment. Let these not deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessings we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogancies. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a secure peace a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all of men be in freedom reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Amen. So if you ask me, was Franklin D. Roosevelt a Christian? My answer is that only God knows the heart. Roosevelt's personal life contained moral failure, and he laid the foundation for an invasive, expensive, federalized, bigger-than-life government in the United States. He was brought up in a liberally-leaning environment, but he was certainly a Christian in his public professions of faith, and he seemed to be deeply influenced by Scripture, especially 1 Corinthians 13, and by the power of prayer. The point of my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is that all of our American leaders were flawed. Not all of them were Christians, and many of them were anything but examples of virtue. Nevertheless, they were influenced for good by the power of God's unfailing word in a way that modern historians are trying to forget, but the facts cannot be erased. Roosevelt was certainly more influenced by Scripture than most people think, and certainly more than most historians record. Biographer Kenneth Davis summed it up when he wrote. Roosevelt's religious belief indeed was the simplest. He believed in a loving God who had created and who now ruled the world. In Jesus Christ is the Son of God. His faith was fused with the music and ritual and formal doctrine of the Episcopal Church he derived from worship and inner peace. Well, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Edited by Elijah Rowe. Music by Jordan Davis. For more information and resources, please visit my website at robertjmorgan.com where we also have teaching and small group curriculum to go with this book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. This is Robert J. Morgan. Thank you for listening.